we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. We want them talking trash to Goliath. We want them building a boat and collecting animals. Everybody thinks they're crazy, and they are. I'm your huckleberry. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Behold, a pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. Can you read, my son? Well, that depends. Can you go fight in the shade? Repent or perish. You know your places. God be with you all. All for all and one for one, then, I guess. Stone Mountain Media. Ale to the King. Welcome back to another episode of Stone Mountain Media. This is Dave. I'm here with Sean. Say hey, Sean. Hey. And a special guest, brother from the church, Charlie Rayside. Say hey, Charlie. Hey, what's up? So another one of our pre-Christmas episodes. And uh, because of that, in in light of the upcoming Christmas holiday, we are not going to talk about Christmas, naturally. Uh, Charlie has served... Going on ten years, eleven years, eleven years um, in the military, and uh, and so we're having him on to talk about various things related to uh, life in the military and how that uh, is involved with the Christian life. So, first of all, Charlie, one of your highlights before we get into your how you were saved. Uh, one of the highlights of your career that you've told me about is your involvement with Operation Neptune Spear. Can you go ahead and tell me about? Um, really that night in particular what was it like being there what did you see what you know what what is still like fresh on your memory tell us about that first i have to can i swear (laughs) not not anything like grotesque but yeah yeah go ahead okay so obviously every good story about an operation starts out with no shit there i was (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> alone afraid I conquered my fear though uh, so anyway we were planning for the mission and then I woke up and none of this actually happened <laughs> so wasn't part of Neptune Sphere so they, literally... we were planning for the mission and they are like Charlie what are you doing here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually probably more accurate hey come on guys let's do this yeah. anybody that knows me in the military would say yep that's that's probably would is more accurate to what would happen so Okay, Charlie, you're a Christian? Yes. How'd you become a Christian? So, I became a Christian by the providence of God raising me in a good Christian home-ish. It was a a Christian home. My parents were saved, for sure. We just went to, uh, we went to a Pentecostal church growing up because the Lord told them to stay at the church instead of going to the Calvinist church down the road. Well, that's a done deal then. Yeah, Yeah. naturally. So... (laughs) So super faithful there. They listened to the Holy Spirit. Um, Spirit-led, brother. Yep, spirit-led. Uh, but I have great parents. And at at least they raised me with a basic understanding of the gospel and uh, some foundation and understanding of the law of God. Anyway, I wasn't saved until probably 30. 
I would say summer of 2015 is when I probably got saved. Lived for myself, spent the majority of my 20s in San Diego, California as a single man living on the beach. So you can imagine the debaucherous lifestyle that I was. Well, your favorite beach in. was Black's Beach, right? Black's Beach. Uh, no, actually, my favorite spot was Hillcrest. We have to, <laughs> we have to make that joke. Um, yeah, I loved Hillcrest. I don't get it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, have you uh, told your hot call story to Hillcrest? <laughs> Different time and place? <laughs> anyway, keep going. Anyway, I... Uh, so, super debaucherous. I was on deployment. Well, moderation's for cowards, so if you're yep. going to do debauchery, you yep. might as well get it in. I, I have this argument with my atheist friends at work all the time, saying why it makes absolutely no sense why you would not believe in a God and not go all out on debauchery. Yeah, there's it's, a... It's so bizarre to me. There was a... I think he was a sophomore at SDSU, and he thought that Jesus likely had risen from the grave. He wasn't really sure. And I was like, dude, if, if all you're doing is gambling on that, you are wasting your years at San Diego State. Why are you at a Bible study right now? Bro, there is a party next door full of tens. What are you doing on a gamble? Unless you're sure about this thing, dude, you are wasting your life. Go live it up in carnal pleasure to the max. Yeah, it, also, it also shows just how much the guys who want to claim that they believe that or think there's no God are simply just talking. They're, they don't they don't believe that. If they believe that, they'd live a different way. But there's they, yeah. they have a conscience. They know that God exists, and uh, you know although they don't hold up to that standard, yeah. there's a there's a standard in their mind. They know they're going to be held to some kind of account, and so that makes them nervous, and so they act accordingly. There's not there's not many marquee decades out there, right? The this this French uh, aristocrat basically lived consistently with his claimed beliefs, right. unlike basically Everyone. every every yeah. every pleasant neighbor right. we have. Right. And I mean, he's literally the guy we get the word sadist from, because that's sadism is the consistent conclusion of you know quote unquote atheism. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, back just to had debauchery. Yeah, just had that conversation with my buddy the other day, <clears throat> and I literally asked him like, why are you why are you an, a good person? Like, why are you ethical or make any attempt to be ethical? And he said, for the sake of ethics, for the sake of being ethical is their, their higher calling to which I responded. That's retarded. Amen. It just, it's so stupid. If the, if this is life is all you have, eat, drink and marry for tomorrow you die. Uh, and, and that's all I'll say about that. Anyway, my upbringing actually, I think because my conscience wasn't completely seared in my twenties because of my upbringing kept me somewhat you know I was in and out of church I was gonna uh, ask you know so it was very much in and out of church in San Diego where in, were you going at that time uh gosh I can't even they've changed their name so many times okay. it, it was a very charismatic church but awaken uh, yeah it was it, it just cross point when the spirit uh, gives you a new name you yeah, just gotta take it exactly the, yeah ride the wave all those all those different hippie trendy names that they have in churches but so kind of in and out of trying to be a good person because that was kind of the gospel that I got taught, right? Is this is the gospel. This is God's law. You have to measure up to that in order to be a Christian, right? In, in reality, you have to do these things in order to be a Christian. So it was, it was works-based salvation. And, you know, 18, 19 years old, I was like, screw this. I can't do this. 
right? I, there's too much temptation in the world. There's too much sin in the world. There's too much pleasure in the world for me uh, to, to, to live up to this. So very, very debaucherous back I in mean, Iowa. Every girl in high school wants a guy that rides the bench, am I right? Yeah, exactly. So I didn't ride the bench in high school, just letting you guys know. But... <laughs> That's how my mom always comforted me. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was a good basketball player in high school. I didn't ride the bench. Straight edge, though. I was a straight edge in high school, which is really bizarre. Um, I mean, from no sex, I mean, no swearing. No joke, I didn't swear. I wasn't having sex. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing any of that super straight edge. Went from that. I wasn't doing any of that shit. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah. Wasn't doing any of that to within two months of leaving my parents' house had partake, taken in, in, in all of that stuff. Yeah. So, and then I was probably within a couple months, like four or five girls deep into um, my sex out of wedlock. Well, you so, were you were boys with Dan Bilzerian, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's what brought you to San Diego. Yes, yeah, San Diego. You were riding his coattails, right? Yep. You're a big Dan Bilzerian fan. Hey, Dan, if you ever hear this podcast, you're a douche. Just letting you know. Anyway, David likes you, though. (laughs) Uh, So, long story short, I will spare you the... Should we talk about who Dan Bilzerian is for people who don't know? Okay, anyway. Um, He's he's a broke joke, baby. (laughs) Long story short... uh, Got saved in 2015 on deployment, as most things... Wait, what year again? 2015. Got Summer. saved 2015? Yeah. Dude, I met you 2015. Yeah. I you, think You met me at the end of 2015. I got saved that, that previous summer. Shoot. Yeah. On deployment, I was at rock bottom with all the bad decisions I've made in my life. And as, you know, things typically happen, I run to I ran I think I ran to religion initially so I, I remember talking to you about this Sean in gospel group like the whole like when did you actually get saved right sometime from 2015 summer of 2015 to probably spring of 2016 I would say is a good guess sometime in that in that in that time frame people ask me when I was saved and sometime between the age of five and yesterday yeah so mine's a little more specific of a time frame <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so, and then we just, I just started going to the response church right after that, uh, and kind of the rest is history. But the thing that I think is super unique is I've spent half of my career, well, half of my career currently as a debaucherous, God-hating, uh, member of the military, and then the the latter half now the last five years as a christian man will all be around the exact same people so they've seen the the actual change and the transition from this guy is uh the worst of us to and and i i don't think they acknowledge like no this guy's the best of us they wouldn't say that i'm just saying are you saying that i'm not saying that yeah i'm saying that anyway uh they won't acknowledge yeah, you it. heard it's, that, Greg. You heard there. that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's there. They, they know, dude. Yeah. Whether you want to acknowledge uh, it or not. But just a, it's a, a, an actual change, right? A real change. It's not, it's not lip service. 
it's I those went guys are from, around you all the time they see it yeah they've it's not been a around me resolution exactly it's been they, half a decade they've seen now me pro-choice in the military pro-choice outspokenly so uh of course yeah, yeah like like if it if it came up not like something that i'd go to bat for uh-huh. but if it came up it's like yeah that's a it's a it's a real option when did that come about i mean it was that just in the midst of the debauchery just kind of like walking consistently in that because i would think you know being from the area of the country you're from and the family you're from that that would i, I know a lot of guys who are who live debaucherous lives who grew up in christian homes and still see abortion as like a no-go so I did see it as a no-go until I got a girl pregnant. Gotcha. So I saw it as a no-go until it actually, like, so it's almost a way to, to shove. More of a way to, like, uh, you know, comfort your own conscience in the midst of basically whether you were, I don't know if you're, you know, pressuring people into that. We don't have to get into that if you don't want to. But No, definitely not. Like, I wouldn't, I wasn't encouraging people in that, but I would encourage people in. But probably grateful for that happening if. The pregnancy, or grateful for abortion. How, how many? Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Do you, yeah. I, I don't mind getting. I'll, I'll ask you. You can say I'm not going to answer. But how many abortions were you directly involved with? Zero. Oh, praise God. So that yeah, you know of. That I know of, obviously. Uh, so the the one girl that contacted me is the only girl that contacted me at, that I know of that I actually got pregnant. Uh, I I said, well, I'm not marrying you in a in typical flaccid fashion as a guy who thought he was a man said i'm not marrying you i'm not moving you out here you're not going to manipulate me into fathering your your child and being your husband therefore there's only two options you either raise it on your own or you get an abortion i told her that on the phone um wow and so that's the type of man i was is that child alive uh so she ended up miscarrying okay which you know who knows if she was just blowing smoke to get attention or not i i'm i can assume i'm just assuming that she was telling the truth yep um and whether she was telling the truth or not is is kind of a moot point right it's more about the response that i gave which is a very i wouldn't even say a typical response of pagans um in in a lot of contexts i know pagan men that would have responded much better uh, much better than that with no with no upbringing in a in a Christian home, that would have responded by saying, "All right, we'll figure this out," or or whatever. Yeah, well, just just a general principle. It, it is a Christian principle, but there's plenty of uh, men who are good in that category, um, teaching their sons that men take responsibility. So if that's if that's an if that's like an operational baseline, and you grow up with that being a non-negotiable, you don't have to be a Christian to to have the common grace from God to recognize, you know, I did something. There's consequences for that thing, and I need to, I need to do something in light of that. So, yeah, I think the <clears throat> hedonistic ideology, uh, especially in San Diego, because you're always on vacation, uh, is so prevalent out here that <clears throat> that hedonism, uh, especially when you adopt that as an ideology, it demands that you reject the consequences of your actions. Sure. Because it's all about... it can't. No, it's 0% responsible. You can't yeah. a- allow for responsibility to interrupt your hedonistic pursuit. Right. Which is why it's really stupid to talk about Christian hedonism as an aside, because it kind of necessarily drives the conversation away from duty. But that's an aside. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm uh, blessed. I was born with a birth defect 
of just dramatic, I mean, excruciating ugliness. I give children nightmares when they see me. They have to go to bed that night and have my face in their heads. It's unbelievable how ugly I am. And that's honestly just preserved me from a lot of the party scene of San Diego. I know the dump. I know the landfill. I don't really know any of the party scene because I've tried to go into these places and they kick me out. They, they don't even let me out the front. They drag me through the place and throw me out the back just to well, make a point. If, well, if they let you out the front, there's like going to be, if anybody's walking up, there's going to be this potential assumption that you were inside. Of it's one bad point. marketing. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad marketing. So was there a Christian on your deployment? How did that happen? Uh, no Christian on my deployment. Uh, at the time, it was one of the, it was a little more char- charismatic of an experience on deployment than uh, I think, than I think is is in reality what happened, right? So like, it was kind of like felt the call of God, felt the tug of the Holy Spirit, whatever language you want to use for that. Sure. Um, I started reading scripture on deployment it's so charismatic, dude. I don't have any room for that in my soteriology. <laughs> you start reading the Bible in response to the tug of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, it's, well, it was more of like, uh, felt as though like audible voice type of. Oh, type gotcha. Of, you know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah, it was, it was just more, it was more obvious. And what did looking, you, what did you think back, that audible voice said? Just to. Read the Bible, Yeah, asshole. just like be a, be a Christian or like come back to the faith or, or whatever it was yeah uh looking back because honestly it, think, dude like even that i really don't have much of a problem with i mean i that labels get is where sometimes it gets interesting uh people want to talk about you know new revelation obviously i'm not a proponent of that but for a guy who i you know i know i know you're upbringing pretty well i know how much you memorize scripture and whatever the quote was that kind of came to you in that moment chances are it had a lot of similarities to a verse in the bible there's yeah, plenty, of, plenty yeah. of verses in the Bible that talk about keeping the faith, not straying away, those kind of things. And so it makes total sense to me that in a, in a moment of desperation, God would, by his spirit, bring something like that to mind for you. And it'd be a, yeah, it feel like a supernatural experience because there's something supernatural happening there. Yeah. And certainly looking back on it, I realize that I realized that I distinctly remember Hosea 2 being, Hosea 2 and 3 being brought to mind in that time that's so charismatic um and just like the horror in the wilderness right and I, I distinctly remember those those verses being brought to mind and it's sitting down and reading that uh and knowing that i had played the horror whether i was you know an apostate or or you know a, a newly quote-unquote newly saved man at that time i knew that i had played the horror because i i knew the truth Right at at least at some level, because like, were you pedo baptized or were you uh, were you? No, we were credo. Yeah. So you, were you not baptized until in San Diego, 2015, or were you baptized at some point as a child? I think I went uh, when I was like 10 or 11. Yeah, I got baptized when I was like 10 or 11. Uh, but like Sean said, I memorized you know a third of the New Testament, um, nine books. Of the did Bible. you know what you were doing at 10? Like, I think I, I think I did. Were you exercising your will then? Like yeah, I was definitely exercising my will. But um, it's always tricky. Again, like I knew so much scripture, but I, I, I would tell you, and 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 maybe I'm just not remembering things. I have a pretty good memory. Uh, hence the nine hence, books. Hence the nine books, right? So, <laughs> uh, I don't remember hearing the gospel until I got to the response church. 
like legitimately, I that I felt like that was the first time I actually heard the gospel. So. And uh, so, you have uh, wonderfully symmetrical halves of experience in the military, uh, non-Christian, Christian, and then probably, uh, you know, hopefully, different even motivations for being in the military, right? So you join the military on one set of motivations. You're now still in the military on presumably another set of motivations. Can you compare and contrast your your different experiences from motivations for being in, uh, experiences being in from those two different worlds, two different kingdoms, two kingdom theology? Yeah, so uh, I'll make a blanket statement, and this is not for, this does not apply to everyone uh, in the military, especially in my community. So any special forces, special operations. Is that your community? Yeah. Guys uh, from, you know, Army, Marines, Navy, it doesn't matter what branch you're in. Overwhelmingly, the motivation to be that is uh, insecurity in your masculinity. So it's, I want to prove I'm a man. I want to go blow things up, shoot guns, kill bad guys, drive big trucks, get tattoos, you know, uh, drink, um, and have as, have as much sex with as many women as I possibly can, right? All classic signs of I'm just insecure in my manhood, right? And I don't understand what it means to be a man. And I think it's distinctly that until it's not distinctly that. So it needs to be distinctly something else. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be the motivation is going to be proving your masculinity. Is that just because it's, it's such a widespread pool? It's kind of the shared thing going on and so it's just easy to just flow that way well think about think about a man that is acts like an a-type but is beta in reality uh because of the way he treats women because of the way he views work because of the way he views life uh, but is a-type in his actions and his speech the, the only motivation to do something like that like this is is insecurity in who you are so you don't feel adequate it's the same it's the same reason guys uh you know like you um that are short and tiny and small drive big trucks right i do have small hands yeah um and not you specifically but i'm just saying you in general uh, i do have small hands david specifically drives a truck because he's compensating but it's um, a 3500 it's a long bed because yeah. I have small hands. Yeah, but um, <laughs> it's just that very stereotypical uh, approach to masculinity is I'm going to prove I'm a man by doing the things that appear to be masculine that are actually masculine in their context, well, uh, in a proper context. And, and, and to that, now motivation is key. If you strip motivation, there are certain behaviors and even there's certain looks that are more masculine and so better, right? And so, uh, but people can uh, still have jacked up motivations when they're pursuing better things. And basically, when you're not moored in a fear of God and a submission to the Lordship of Christ, you're going to per pervert all these better things. But, you know, it's better for a guy to drive a truck than a Prius because you can actually assume more responsibility with a truck than a Prius. And if masculinity is this pursuing of 
grabbing as much responsibility in life as possible for the good of others, a truck is a tool to let you do that. And, and clothing, based on different cultural things, signifies you know, whether you're a poofter or not, right? So you know, if I was wearing the clothing of girls, it wouldn't matter how much I professed a confidence in my masculinity, I'm still dressing like a poofter. But, I mean, none of these guys, well, a few of these guys who are just rocking it on a lot of the competency areas, right? Shooting, diving, feats of strength, all this stuff in your community. They're not doing any of that in service to Christ. And so it, 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 it ends up neutering things that ought to be marvelously virile down through the ages. Right. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. So um, it is all those, all the things that are being done, and, and it's, which is the beauty of God's providence, I think, in using the military to, to accomplish his will is that he's using men that actually aren't glorifying him, right, in any regard to accomplish his good purposes. So, um, but the transition, the switch for me was actually really difficult. It took me quite a while to uh, to figure out how to transition into, I'm, not wor- I'm no longer working for myself or man, I'm working for the Lord. That's st- always a struggle and still ongoing. And then what is my motivation for being here? Because uh, any special forces uh, at all across the board, like the only you are the only thing you are there for is to kill people. That is what you're getting trained to do. Uh, you're not there to fill a desk job, right? So there's tons of desk jobs in the military. There's tons of non-combatant positions in the military. And those are for the women, am I, and, am I right? Yeah, am I so right? We'll get into that in a second. But there's tons of non-combatant positions in the military uh, that uh, exist so you could have a man in the military that's truly masculine that doesn't necessarily want to be on the front lines of of the war right Um, obviously depending on the circumstance but um, for for my community it is it is distinctly to kill um and that's i mean they train you to be a killing machine right the only thing we do is shoot that's all we do we train to kill people shoot shoot right so um so that was a difficult transition because it's it's like okay what especially considering the culture and the current i guess dynamic in america and what we are actually fighting for uh and it is a little it's a little crude to say like things like war for uh oil or or whatever but in a real sense um you can make a lot of you can make a strong argument that there has been uh not a lot of just war going on over the last you know 20 to 30 years well yeah at some point i don't want to interrupt your train but at some point uh circle back and i want your opinion on every war america's been involved in since world war ii yeah, that's <clears throat> whether or not they're just. Has any war since World War II been a just war? Because that that would be uh, that. I mean, that's an important question, I think, for Christians within the military uh, to process and, and figure out how to be honorable and strong in a context where not only within our culture but then in our international engagements, there's a lot of questions to answer. Yeah, I think but. the the motivation and the outcome. Uh, can be two separate things 
and I believe that so what happened with Iraq for example we should have never invaded Iraq in hindsight but the result of invading Iraq for example took a tyrant out of power that needed to be re removed from power uh, and was torturing his people and very a very very evil man uh, at the same time it produced such instability in the region that uh, it got us into a lot more uh, a lot, many more conflicts than we wanted to be a part of and should be a part of and took a region that he had under his thumb and under control more or less so that the you know the ISIS Taliban like all those uh, groups those terrorist groups they weren't springing up in ways that they sprung up after post his death uh, because he kept all that stuff in check. So there's a, it's just basically we traded one particularly evil man and cruel man for a bunch of small evil and cruel men and groups. Would you say that was an inevitability in light of the context on the front end that should have been seen? Or I do you want think, to argue against uh, that? Without getting into too many like specifics about the motivation for for going into Iraq in the first place. So there's there's two two trains of thought there. There's one, we went in to control uh, a, a large plot of land that had tons of natural resources uh, so that we could set a price point for oil, right? And the other train of thought is take a tyrant out of power who's dipping his civilians in acid for speaking out against him, right? Can I ask you a sidetrack question? Slightly yeah. sidetrack? Yeah. Do you think that it's uh, the duty of, I'll say, Christian nations, but nations in general, but ideally, speaking ideally, Christian nations to uh, basically dethrone tyrants of other lands? Yeah, I would say, I would say that is... Uh, I would say that is an extension of Romans 13, yeah. I've heard some people make that, yeah, as an extension of Romans 13 and uh, as an application of, also in Romans 13, loving your neighbor. Yep. Yeah, I would say that it, that's, um, in a ought-to-be world, that is that is ideal. Uh, I think the issue... It's tricky, because when you speak ideally, you kind of have this, like, if you have this fuzzy picture, which brings up what you're talking about in terms of, you know, do you see in hindsight you're you're crushing this one this one ruler and then making you know making fifteen enemies in the process? In, in an ideal world, you kind of see like you have this innocent people oppressed by this tyrant. You crush the tyrant and then you allow the people to instill install a, a new ruler who's going to rule justly. I'm I'm super distracted right now. You're on a fire blocking. There's a cartoon playing in the background that your kids are watching. And I've been to the place where the cartoon is, and it's like this super idolatrous, like evil place in India, and it's like this like princess paradise in a cartoon. Anyway, are you I'm, back? I'm listening. <laughs> are you sure? I'm there. So you know you have this, you have the ideal of basically dethroning a tyrant, and then oh praise God, now these people can ins install a ruler who's going to rule justly. Uh, and so you have like you have that. It's an interesting thing to balance. So I don't really have an answer. I'm, it's more just I'm just throwing it out there. But you have you know, a seeming good dethrone a tyrant, but you know, how much are you looking at the fallout of that? And does that change the play? Does that change the righteousness of the play? Well, and, and if you think about what kind of people 
does a people have to be to expect a good ruler? And how do you get that kind of people? And military action doesn't bring that about. Right. So military action is very effective in defending that kind of people. Right. And that kind of ruler. Right. And, and then opposing in acting against the, you know, other kinds of people that want to crush that. Right? right. So you have you have when you whenever you have a righteous people and a righteous ruler, there are going to be unrighteous people, unrighteous rulers that want to be enemies of that. And the military is a perfect weapon right. to fight against that. But if you have a if you have a culture that's established by established on the worship of false gods and therefore an idolatrous, uh, wicked culture, you know, quote unquote, defending them. Right. Taking out their tyrant. What else are they going to raise up? Well, and then you. you to do anything good long term, you have to be willing, uh, and not that you don't need, not that you need encouragement. With this, but feel free. If I say anything that you strongly disagree with, just throw it down, dude. Bush uh, never had the willingness to do what was necessary to secure anything. He didn't. First of all, Bush didn't know what righteousness was, nor did he have the willingness, the stones, to to go all the way to ensure righteousness. Let's say in a place like Iraq because at the end of the day if you want to do it like that when the people are not themselves united in a fear of the Lord which again it's not like America was at the time either we certainly weren't but you'd really have to um, conquer that land and take it as your your own and enforce from a top down right which uh, there's questions about the effectiveness of it you got to do a cost benefit analysis do you have the money to do that and and like uh uh, you pull in some Sun Tzu, right? You know, you can either have a strong nation or you can have enduring wars. So, you look at Afghanistan, uh, which we can all agree needed a spanking. They they needed to be, they needed to know wrath for what they did. You have Iraq, and they've gone on, you know, for the the big chunk of my life. Uh all of those factors, I think, have to be answered with very clear eyes before you do anything of such consequence like starting a war. Sure. Uh, and, and I don't want to say we started the war in Afghanistan. They started it. We didn't finish it. We still have a 9-11 mosque in San Diego, Allahu Akbar. So, but anyway. I think there's certainly legitimacy to the question of, of you know, a de- dethroning a tyrant and ten tyrants taking its place, right? Uh, I do think... Like demons. Yeah. Remove one demon yeah. and seven demons come take yeah. the room. So I do think, though, that you can make... Hashtag le- Jerusalem. <laughs> Revelations. <laughs> you can make a legitimate... You can make a legitimate argument, though, that... Um, so I'll use the GOP as an example of of why we don't need... Why we shouldn't think a certain way. So the GOP for the last 60 years now has been saying, has been using language like long game and uh, we'll, we'll get the next one, that type of stuff. All well, uh, all, the, all the while, the culture has been moving further and further left and further and further away from God's moral law. So I, I don't, I'm not a fan of, uh, I'm not a fan of losing the battle in order to win the war, right? Or like giving up ground 
so that you can gain ground somewhere else later. I think taking the hill that's in front of you, smashing the enemy that's in front of you, and dealing with the consequences afterwards and regrouping and saying, all right, now we have this to deal with. So it's the same, uh, it would be the same as if, you know, because what happened in Iraq, it could have happened a different way. There's a possibility that it could have happened a different way. Sure. So Saddam gets out of power and all of a sudden all these, you know, uh, God-fearing, you know, Chaldeans are raised up to govern and rule Iraq and Iraq's a strong, independent democracy, yeah. free market. It'd be nice if we had backed them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like, and and they're actually ruling the power in the region and it's completely stable. Instead, they're just our neighbors yeah, exactly. <laughs> out here in East County. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so the, there's, that's obviously an option. And so if you think like that, then you just take the hill that's in front of you, which was Saddam in this case, you take Saddam because Saddam needed to die. He needed to be removed from power. Do you think, do you think that Bush believed him to have WMDs and intending, intending to use them to negative effect against so, America? I don't, I mean, obviously we, nobody knows, right? Yeah. Just like, shooting for your opinion. Just, just a purely opinion based. I would say he took advantage of, uh, the appetite for war yeah. in that context to, and I, I really do think it was, it was twofold. I, I don't think, I think it's short-sighted to say, and uh, to say it was only a war for oil in the region or, you know, to, you know, cause that's a, a very dominant landmass in the region and very centralized. There's ports, uh, there's, you know what I mean? There's all sorts of th- considerations there. Um, Good sand. Yeah. Great sand. Um, Wonderful but, goats, supple. But, <laughs> but Saddam needed to be taken out, and I think it was it was both. I think it was a humanitarian issue, and I think it was a, an oil issue and, and an economic issue. It, war is economics, right? Like you go to war to conquer and shift the economic landscape uh, of the world. Um, I thought it was to spread democracy. Yeah, yeah. The the, the American Taliban, yeah. <laughs> um, the American Jihad. So. Uh, I do think it was that America's appetite for war was super high after 9-11. Yeah, sure. We went into Afghanistan. And it's like, hey, better now than any... I mean, this is the best possible time to invade Iraq and take Saddam out of power. For whatever reason, we were taking him out of power. That was the best time to do it because the appetite was super high. We were five years post 9-11. It was, there was still patriotism. Nobody was burning the flag. Things were going well in Afghanistan. Yeah, things were things were up. You know, well... More or less in Afghanistan, they think things were going well, yes. Uh, but to your point, uh, Bush's refusal to actually end things, um, and, pr- and he just prolonged a war that didn't need to be prolonged. Like, uh, I remember watching the 60 Minutes documentary on this ex-CIA officer who was talking about uh, post-9-11 and everything that happened in the two weeks post-9-11, saying that they had such a... They had so many spies and moles in uh, Al-Qaeda that on September 19th, 2001, the network had, you know, effectively been been destroyed. Um, and Al-Qaeda was no longer a, a corporate network. It was a bunch of people running scared, scattering to the wind. You know, I mean, we're talking literally seven, eight days 
after 9-11 happened. They destroyed the network. And the next 10 years was us chasing people, uh, you know, around the mountains, you know. Now, uh, but not running while chasing them because running's for cowards. Running is for cowards. Yes, cardio is for cowards, indeed. Um, but, but again, I, I David was, thought we were doing cardio this yeah. morning because yeah, yeah, our sets weren't five minutes apart. But. Yeah, our sets were thirty five seconds apart. in between sets. If that's not cardio, I don't know what is. To be clear, Sean and I did like five reps of warm up. David gets under the bar, does thirty reps. Yeah, you made that cardio. I did, reps. No one told me what we were doing. I saw weight, and I was not going to be outdone on reps, okay? Again, I have small hands, people. 30 reps. Small small hands, great glutes. That's, that's Small David. hands, big heart. Yeah. Fantastic <laughs> glutes. You know how many uh, Heart of Gold awards I got on team sports? Never any, like, accomplishment, but, man, I had a decent heart when I was failing. Uh, uh, but, yeah, all that being said, I think, I think it's good. It's good and right to take the tyrant in front of you take take down the the just just because david if the consequence of david slaying goliath was 10 more goliaths in his place it doesn't make it wrong for david to slay goliath but but the the key there is that goliath was particularly against uh jehovah david yep. jehovah's people which is i mean so i think it is important it, in light of limited resources, not having, you know, a thousand hills and the cattle thereon, like God, uh, to be selective in which monsters you go after. Because basically everywhere in the world that's not yet subdued to Christ, and, and unfortunately at this time, even places that had once been subdued, you see new monsters rising up, um, like Gavin Newsom, like every leader in the EU, uh, except for the uh, ruler of Hungary and the leader of Poland. Big shout out to you guys. Uh, and we just don't have the resource to go after at all of them. And so I, I think it is it is good to have the, the selective metric being, is this guy actually a threat to us? Yeah, and I think... Uh, Though that is a point of debate that, you, Sean, you brought that up because it's... Yeah. Uh, now, in terms of founding principles, it was very clear we did not intend to go after after every monster. Right. But um, I, I believe, from what you read from the Huguenots, that they, they understood it was the duty, if you could, go right. after anybody. Right, and, and I think a lot of what you're bringing up is, a, is that big caveat of if you can. Is, yeah, so it's a, I, don't think, I don't think it's much of an ethical question. I think, I think we, we ought to love our neighbors, and when there's tyrants that we're able to depose, we should do so. Uh, but it, it, there's a huge question on resources, and then there are, I think, legitimate ethical questions about what is going to be the result of that particular tyrant and do you have the resources to follow up on that in a in a productive way some guys you have to fight some guys it's the question of can you right and and with that because if you can't and you do you start something but you can't you've created a mess then that you're gonna you're pawning off to someone else right so that's worse yeah yeah, yeah. and so all the resources and so we're talking like hundreds of billions of dollars you know, I probably we just print that off, dog. Yeah, probably over a trillion Done. dollars at this point. <laughs> Cha ching. <Yeah>. Next question. <laughs> China yeah, just loan us some money. So, funny you should say something. Cha ching. So, China, China, Russia, and North Korea are going to be, I think, are good examples of. So the motivation to go after tyrants um, should be, like you say, um, they are against. They are specifically against Jehovah, 
um, either verbally against him or in practice, right? So like concentration camps in exa- China. Exactly. So so we have we have Saddam, uh, we have Saddam being a tyrant against the image bearing people of his country, right? And do you remember his son's names? Uh, I forget. Cootie and Hootie. Yes, <laughs> it was really weird. Huge um, Hootie and the Blowfish fan. Yeah, uh, but not good guys from what I remember. If we're going to, if so, if we're going to go in to that country, right, and 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 remove him, uh, what keeps us from invading China, Russia, and North Korea, right? So if we're going to love our neighbor and we're going to do things ethically and morally, we're going to have just war, and we're going to be biblical in our pursuits of war. What is keeping us from going specifically against Russia and China? China being objectively worse than Saddam. Yeah, I, Just because yeah, of I, capability. Yep. I mean, I'm sure Saddam, capability, if he had better resources. And I think ideology, too. And, and we can get into this if you want, but, I, you know. You are a Marxist. I, I, I agree with, <laughs> Huge fan. with, with Wormbrand in his critique that, that Marxism and communism is, is just Satan's religion on Earth. It's, Satan insti- it's a Satan-instituted religion. And so China objectively is more of a threat to humanity, uh, both from a, from a uh, theological standpoint and a practical standpoint, a physical stamp, you know, uh, outlook on things. Uh, if they got their way, the world would not flourish. You know, there's no, there's no human flourishing under that regime and under that, that ideology. Now, uh, why don't we do that? And, and I think the answer is super obvious. China is strong. Uh, fiscally, uh, it, it's advantageous for us to not go after China fiscally. And so we, most of our product is made in China and most of the money you receive as far as, as kickbacks and all that stuff is from China. We happen to be sleeping with the biggest monster in the world right now. Exactly. So that's why you have NBA players that refuse to speak out against China. LeBron thinks China's good in bed. I mean, that's all there is to it. That's literally it. Because why? Because there's a billion people there. There's a billion person market. And and we make hundreds of billions of dollars doing business with China. So we don't make hundreds of billions of dollars doing business with Saddam. But we can get hundreds of billions of dollars, you know, taking it, invading his country. Because war is profitable. And you have natural resources and stuff like that so uh, so there's definitely ethical questions regarding war and engaging in war um, but all that being said I don't think it it I don't think it says anything about Christian men being in the military in general regardless of what that military is so uh, and what that military represents and what that military stands for for example it's a it's a very big sector of life, um, and it's one of one of the pillars of a of a country yeah. and a nation and a civilization is the military itself. And so, just from a gospel standpoint, I would encourage Christian men uh, in China to go into the Chinese military with the if you know I don't know if it's you know I don't know if it's a volunteer program over there. It's probably not, but if that's an option. Uh, to avail themselves to be in the military in order to spread the gospel, right? Um, because that's a huge sector of life that doesn't uh, 
that is void of the gospel if Christian men refuse to engage in that sector. If you're yeah. if you're thinking about entering in at a particular time, right? Because everybody has to evaluate a situation based on the climate that they're in. Yeah, I'm speaking in generalities. Yeah, but it, in evaluating that, do you think there's uh, with that call that you're giving out, would you caveat that with uh, what we were talking about a little bit ago with unjust war? If you see a country fighting for communism, communism and other you know horrendous things, uh, I think you have to clock when you're going to enter into something like that, that that's what you're going to fight along. If you, you you're know, giving you allegiance to the Communist Party of China if you join the, the Chinese military. Yep. And so that is the... Because I would think there could come a point for you where you would feel the need to get out depending on what you had to fight for. When you're when you're looking through your sights, you know, that enemy represents something and you represent something. And if you start to represent something that God abhors, I don't think you can pull that trigger. Correct. So <clears throat> an example might be if, if, uh, if things go the way they're going, and let's say 100 years from now, the military in America is officially effeminate and is now going after Christians, for example. 100 years from now? Yeah. Well, yeah, let's just say, let's say we're going after Christians, right, as in the military. <clears throat> Obviously, a Christian cannot engage in that type of behavior, something that's that's flat, uh, uh, just, just very uh, obviously against something and so and, and the, uh -huh. the Chinese example is a great example that the example I gave is a great example because of the other end of the spectrum so you you do have to weigh okay I'm going to infiltrate be cunning you know cunning as serpents right innocent as doves I'm going to again to quote Sun Tzu warfare is deception right it is about deceiving the enemy and Christians being cunning and deceitful in that way in order to infiltrate the military I think is good and right but at the same time there's the consideration of fighting for satan yeah you're putting on satan's uniform right now i mean so it, it's a tactical question of how do you uh, how do you deploy that deception to take down uh the communist party of china and we'll get back to the american military after the break but just on this chinese point you know uh you can you can go after the Communist Party of China, uh, like Pastor Wang Yi, you know, starting what institutions you can, like Christian schools, preaching the gospel from the pulpit, knowing that eventually you're going to end up in a labor camp. Uh, it I, I think it'd be good and right, um, though though probably it would end in your death, but good and right for Chinese men to to band together and you know engage in sabotage and guerrilla warfare uh, from within their own country. And I would probably advocate those two causes prior to putting on Satan's uniform because unless you've got like some sick hacking skills and you're not going to be caught on week one, you know, because, uh, yeah, because you, you, like what kind of oath do you have to take to to join? Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's really cut. So, but I don't know a lot of the details there, and so I've got, I guess, more comments about the American side of things. Before we go to break, Sean, did you, did you want to say anything? Just wanted to give a shout-out to our sponsor for today. Great. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing it's in light of a, a recent episode we put out. Super encouraged. Uh, we're talking about manhood today. We talk about manhood quite a bit, and as a stalwart of an example of what it means to, to walk as men in this world, we have uh, the gracious sponsor of Vanderbilt Football. 
Ooh, go Sorry. Commodores. Yeah, thank you, Vanderbilt Football, for the sponsorship. We love all the funding that you guys give us, and we love your example of, of just praising men for manhood, praising women for, for womanhood. So we're going to pick this conversation up after break. Again, funded today by Vanderbilt University, and we're grateful for that, for the thousands of dollars they're giving us just for this one episode. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere unless you hit pause and use the potty. <laughs> and we're back. Again, thanks Vanderbilt University. We're picking up right where we left off. Off. Hopefully your potty break was productive, if you know what I mean. So, Sean, you look like you have something to say. I just never pictured our studio being so bougie, but we've been just so well-funded by our sponsors. Yeah. I've gotten a nicer chair with each sponsorship. I've just really... Sean's over here on a throne. <laughs> <laughs> the black and gold walls <laughs> with uh, Sarah Fuller's uniform... <laughs> Encased in glass is a, it's a fantastic. Uh, that was nice. I've got her signed. number. What's signed? That was a stipulation of how we would spend the funding. At first, I thought I wouldn't like like it, but I love it. I have her number saved in my contacts on my Huawei phone, so that China can listen into this entire conversation. Here's to you, Winnie the Pooh. Hopefully, you're having a good day. Don't know what time it is over there, but hopefully, your fried dog is delicious. Okay, so I want to talk to you, uh, Charlie about so a lot of times we've talked about how uh instead of the church being salt and light uh in the various states how it's it's actually in a in a phase blanket statement by and large of being affected by perverted by the culture uh, a paganizing culture and we've gone into specific specifics in other episodes but i want to talk to you as as a guy in the military how do you see uh how do you see the cultural sins of the day um, bringing ruin and decay to the military, right? So if the military is supposed to be a, uh, a sure, uh, well-kept sword, where do you see rust and, and chips and, and brittleness affecting that sword's effectiveness and, uh, and gleam? And so uh, I guess... I'll highlight one, and you can you can run with this in, in a number of ways. But where do you see pride uh, affecting your community, actually making you guys less effective at what you ought to be doing? Where do you see pride? And you don't have to be exhaustive because I'll I'll talk about other things, namely, you know, the sexual sins of the day. How do you see that, Princess Warrior? Yeah. Well, that's. <clears throat> I mean, that's actually an interesting word. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't put that near the top of the list as far as issues with the military today. Well, your Only community seems to have like a, at least a stereotype. No, they're pretty humble guys. Yeah. Oh, but you're even, talking even about just, not just to, in, yes. Okay. So you're talking just in okay. general, the, the, the pride, pride of, so you guys have a reputation of unique pride, even yep. among special operators that at least in vague terms, people seem to assume makes you guys less effective than you ought to be. But I am a junk removal guy, and so I don't know anything. So talk to me. Yeah, so on the pride issue, uh, the, the, I, I think the most prideful a man can possibly be is being a non-Christian in any sort of special operations force in the American military. So we'll just blanket statement that, right? Uh, only because... Uh, again, going back to the 
the image of who you are, right? You're, everybody wants to ride the coattails of great men. And so they're, they do something um, that associates themselves with those men. Right? Which is kind of how we're made. You know yeah, what I mean? Like if I want to do this thing, let me look at guys that did it well and just do whatever yeah. they did. And 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 I'm not and I'm not necessarily saying. So I do blue bridges is, with you. Yeah, I've exactly. seen your tush. Yep. If I want that tush, let me do whatever he's doing. Yep. Blue bridges, bro. We're doing it. Yeah. Shout out to Stefan. These <laughs> <laughs> uh, blue bridges are gay. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not actually saying that that. And pride's a sin, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not making the statement that pride's not a sin. I'm not even saying that the the. Uh, prideful actions of men in my community specifically are necessarily malicious. So there is a there's a way in which uh, I think men come in thinking I you know I'm taking pride in my country, a different form of pride, like pride in my country uh-huh. uh, that I'm going to caring about something that's worth caring exactly. for and so, sacrificing for it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. Uh, hold on for a second. We got to say good night. Yeah, actually, we're going to take a break really quick because we've got some princesses that need uh, some good night wishes. We'll be right back. Yet again, and don't call it a comeback, but we've come back. We've been here all along. So, Charlie, I get specifically, you guys have this reputation of writing books, making movies that I hear from guys as saying, oh, that somehow makes your community less effective than other communities like yours. So, so there's at least a reputation in the broader culture of you guys having a unique manifestation of pride that makes you less effective. But th- as far as my awareness of that, it's just based on what I hear. And so you're in it. So I don't know if you've got a better grasp of whether or not that's hogwash or substantive. Yeah. You know so, what I mean? uh, like, so yeah, we can talk about just like the, that culture, the yeah. Hollywood culture yeah. uh, really quick. So I think... Uh, I don't think writing books about war and experiences in war is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, for example, I don't, regardless of what people think about like some guys like Marcus Luttrell, uh, I believe that his story, uh, that's a good story to tell. I, you know, I've benefited survivor. from his story. Yeah, the Lone Survivor. I think that's a good story to tell. And I don't necessarily think that it's wrong of him to tell that. Uh, and so when you're talking about specific operations... Uh, you know that the caveat being they've been declassified obviously uh, when you're talking about those things and you're sharing those stories uh, and experiences uh, especially for people reading them and, and there's benefit to civilians reading them and and it does that speaking of pride that produces national pride yes uh, with stories like that and uh, I think the, the issue especially the people in our community that are anti-book anti-Hollywood which is the majority of us by the way is when people get out and they haven't done anything, they'll read, they'll, they'll write a book, uh, 10 secrets, uh, of, you know, this community on how to be a successful leader or something like so that. Not a, not a story of legitimate heroism, right. done but a story of, I had a title, <laughs> I did exactly. nothing with it and I'm exactly. going to flex that title anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Cause people so, don't know better. So it's the, it's the same, um, it's the same kind of, uh, idea that like, let's say you were, uh, on the police force for one year, right? And you got out and said, and you wrote a book on how to be the best cop. Here's the ins and outs of police work. Exactly. I've been here for a year. Exactly. Listen and you were a desk jockey the whole time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was on light duty, but... Or you were a bailiff, yeah. I knew a guy. Yeah. <laughs> so... Or I'm going to talk about all the competency of women in the police, but I was on light duty the whole time because I kept getting hip injuries. 
Yeah. Yeah, we specifically have, uh, you know, we specifically had a slogan, you know, just like in general, in special operations forces saying just like the, the quiet professional, right? And so just doing your work. Which people take pride in. Yeah, and doing your work, doing <laughs> your duty way. and going home and not, not bragging about it, not being braggadocious. I remember uh, one of my bosses when I was a new guy in the community uh, saying, hey, when you're out at short club on Friday night, those aren't your chicks you're picking Short up. Club, those gosh. are those are mine. You know, like a blending I, that's, of worlds. That's like my brothers, like the guys <laughs> I fought with. We earned that. We earned the right for you to pick up chicks because of your title. You know what I mean? And so, and I think there's something to be said about that. And I think that's the issue is that is that <laughs> you're you're riding the coattails of men that have actually done the work, uh, and it's kind of you know the man in the arena, right? It's. Uh, in this case, it's not it's not the critic. It's the guy going in the arena after the gladiators have left, and and just saying, "Hey, I, I was in the arena too." Are you not entertained? Yeah, exactly. Like Dude, I was, everyone's gone home. Yeah, I was in the <laughs> arena too. And it's like, yeah, but nobody's fighting. Like just because you're standing in the arena, doesn't mean that you've actually done anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because you 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 have dirt on your face uh, from the Colosseum, doesn't mean that you're a gladiator, because um, you actually have to engage in the battle. Um, and so there's a lot of that in the community and a lot of books about that, right? So post actual wartime, you know, 2006, Iraq, 2001, Afghanistan, post that is guys doing the 12 rules for success, um, from my community, my time in my community, but they've really gone to, you know, gone overseas to Europe and snowboarded for six months. Hey, um, Charlie, this dog, this neighbor's dog is being really rude, interrupting us. Can you go shoot that dog really quick? Come back. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, <laughs> while, while Charlie's taking care of that, and he has a, a silencer, so you're not going to hear it on the podcast. Sean, you, you had a story about uh, these dynamics? Yeah, I was going to save it till we're getting more into kind of female roles, but if we want to transition to that. Okay, well, yeah, w- yeah. One th- yeah, real quick. So, uh, again... Charlie's well-trained. We spent millions of dollars, uh, taxpayer money, to train him to kill dogs very effectively, very quickly. So he's already back. Uh, transition <laughs> away from talking about some dynamics of pride. Obviously, there's a lot of sexual sin and sexual lies being propagandized in the culture that uh, that's affecting military communities across the branches. I mean, even the Marine Corps are now putting women who are not qualified in officer roles and even in infantry roles. How have you seen uh, some of this sexual craziness? I'm sure just the high level of competency required to get into your community um, does a bit of protecting uh, your work, but how have you seen a lot of the sexual lies of the culture impacting your community and making you uh, less effective, if you think that's a thing? I'm assuming it's a thing. I'd want to argue it's a thing, but I'm going to cede that to the expert. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a thing. So that's, I think, my main concern. And honestly, Charlie, my, that that dog resurrected. He's still barking. <laughs> <laughs> that's honestly my main uh, consideration in whether or not I I stay in this in this job and stay in this community. Uh, and to Doug Wilson's point, you know, a, a, a nation that lets their women fight wars for them is no longer a nation worth protecting no longer a nation worth serving um <clears throat> the trick here is uh 
when when is too far too far you know what i mean like yeah it takes a lot of wisdom yeah, yeah. and so so it there is not actually any women on the front lines shooting their guns at this moment right the option is there the uh, ability for women to get in to combat roles in the military is there and has been there for years now um and so uh i don't really i don't really see the actual uh you know, like a, a woman being on the front lines as the main issue right now. I see the issue being uh, the leaders of our military and the leaders of our country that are willing to let women go to war for them. Uh, Not even just willing, but pushing it as a moral good. Yeah, pushing it as a moral good. Uh, so effeminacy produces effeminacy. And so Makes if, sense. You're, if you're willing to let women fight your wars, you are, you know... Uh, Consequentially, you are a feminine man. Right, uh, and is you, that guy going to be your patent? Yeah, exactly. You trust, going exactly. Into, you trust that guy orchestrating a campaign yeah. for you? I wouldn't. Right, exactly. And, that, so, and that's yeah, your that's life. The real question. Yeah. I don't really now, care about current. his life. I care about your life. Right. Yep. Yeah, the flaccidness of effeminacy doesn't produce yep. much by its nature, but it does produce more effeminacy. Yeah. yeah. And so that that's the real question right now. It's not It's not whether or not Thank I'm going to have a woman. <laughs> you must have a unique you know, yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm not. The question is not whether or not I'm going to have a woman on my right or left sh shooting a gun next to me. Well, is it if the it's question, a guy that's a woman? Does it count? Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, Please do. The uh, the question is the leaders. He can still shoot good. Yeah, the leaders that are actually letting this happen. He still right? likes girls. <laughs> he just is one. So, I I, I think uh, that's the battle that I'm dealing with right now. Uh, is just the question of do I want. Do I want these men leading me? Do I trust these men to lead me? And, and the obvious answer is, well, no, you can't trust men that are hiding behind skirts to fight your battles for you. And, you know, my guess, it could go one or two ways, right? So you could, if another war kicks off, a, a real war, um, there's a legitimate possibility that all this PC stuff goes to the wayside and it's like, hey, I'll stop. We're actually going to be men again. Um, but the more likely course of action... Do you action, think some of the fruit of that is just being in a time of not in a 100%, serious war? 100%. So yeah. it's, it's culture, it's, it's, it's evil. Basically it's ma wicked. makes things a little bit more political. But, and exactly. But, so but without, you, without repentance, what ought to lead to more masculinity, I think it would be foolish for us to think it would lead to anything but compounded folly. I, yeah. I expect, be, because without repentance, all, everything that happens is going to be a judgment then yeah. it would make sense for that judgment right. to be a doubling down on the right. things that got you in the place you right. are. Yep. And, and so you bring about your own destruction. And my, my conception is that America is going to so weaken itself, eventually a foreign threat will rise up, take advantage, but it will be because of what we've done to ourselves. Right, because yep. the ideal is you're training up this military that's just a machine, right? If you're going to be in the context of having this large standing army, which we are, that's a, a different conversation. But if you have that, the ideal is this is a machine and if you touch if you you know if you awaken the bear that's a problem but when you start if you're gonna start trying to feed women into that you're you're not gonna it, you're right you're right it's folly to think that you're gonna snap out of that in the moment and just get back to where you're supposed to be and you've you've already spent all that time uh building something that's going to be destructive in and of itself and and you want, you want to train for for your action and right not expect you're going to outperform your training right yeah and and both of those things are they're rooted in a similar thing because you have you know the first thing we talked about in the second segment was pride 
And pride is kind of an inescapable thing with these kind of guys who aren't submitted to the law of God. Because you're talking about guys who are and ought to be uber, comp uber competent, crazy good at what they do. But they don't see it as a gift from God. They see it as their own, you know, what they've welled up in and of themselves. And so you, you can't expect anything but pride from that. And then that same culture, still not submitted to the law of God, loving the praises of men, and therefore, yeah, ceding all this folly to allowing women in. And yeah, it's going to reap folly. Am I correct in the news that I've seen that there is a man who is dressing himself and, and calling himself a woman who's going to be training other men in your community? Uh, yeah. So there's a couple, there's a couple guys like that. Um, oh, a couple. Yeah. Maybe they can get together. They're, they're out. There's a couple guys that are out. Um, I, again, no. Of the closet to, to or the, the military? No, no, no. Of the military. They're out of the military. Okay. Yeah. There's not a guy in the, in the there military? There is one. Okay. Apparently one right now that's in the military. Uh, that's coming to San Diego shortly. The uh, gay guys that we're talking about, uh, transgender. Wow. Yeah. So, what do you expect? To like come your point, from though, on the culture side of things, it is a consequence of our culture. Yeah. Uh, to to David's point, I think uh, I was listening to Matt Walsh last week. He summed it up really well. So, Biden's. Uh, if you cite Matt Walsh, does that make you a papist? Uh, I don't know. Is that how that works? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He's, I agree with him about everything. If you cite Ben Shapiro, does it make you a Jew? Yeah. <laughs> um, so he comments I never said on it was to be safe. Uh, Biden's, you know, a choice for Secretary of Defense. And um, I forget the guy's name. Forgive me. But the... Forgiven. Uh, yeah, no need. Yeah, he, I'm just saying. Biden doesn't remember his name. Yeah, Biden, <laughs> Biden doesn't remember his name. So he had to keep writing it down. I. Can't yeah. remember where he put it. Uh, he, he cites that his main goal, his main objective in being Secretary of Defense as increasing diversity in the military. Well, diversity is our strength, brother. Right. So diversity is our strength, increased diversity. Um, conversely... What a scary China, message from the guy who's supposed to be in charge of defense. Right. And, and then that's the point. Super scary message. Not because... So regardless of, of, of what you think about that, who cares? At the end of the day, who cares how diverse your community is? As long as... Especially the military. Let's say specifically the military. Who cares how, how diverse... And I'm talking about gender. I'm talking about race. Um, who cares how diverse your military is as long as it's a well-oiled killing machine? Well, that's what someone with white privilege would say. So, yes, exactly. So, conversely, China is not concerned about diversity. They're all whatsoever. Chinese. Right. They're, they don't care They don't care about diversity in any regard. They can look in the sun all day long. No side effects. Yeah. They care, about, they care about killing. And they care about their military being a killing machine. That is the function of a mili military, is to be a killing machine. It is a well-oiled killing machine. And when you, when you let the culture... Uh, this PC culture into the one sphere of life where it shouldn't be, right? And so I, as a native, just speaking as an American, I'm okay with every single, outside of the church, so I'm okay with every single sphere of life outside of the church and the military being affected by the PC culture because, uh, and there's consequences to all these things, right? There's bad consequences to all these things, but those are the two those are the two areas where, as a country, just speaking as an American broadly, you cannot let those 
two pillars of society be infected by PC culture and the pitchfork mob. Well, yeah, it's going to... Military is going to have probably the... One of the most damaging consequences of that outflow. Downstream. Downstream. See it. But all of it's going to come from the church. Yep. Uh, we, we have a society that's that's gone further and further away from a submission to God's law. And the further you go from that, the further you're going to be from a well-ordered society because that's going to affect everything. If you don't have, if you don't have a foundation, then, then what are you doing? Eventually you're just going to, you're going to drift further and further into ungodliness. So that's just, that's just what we're producing now. So I agree. We don't want to see it. I don't want to see it anywhere. Right. But once we see it in the church, once the church stops speaking prophetically against that, we're going to see it everywhere. Yeah, it's going to work its way into everything. If the president of the Southern Baptist convention, supposedly the largest Protestant denomination uh, in America is saying that he's going to go along with the transgender lie, which he is saying. Well, then it's not a surprise that you know, in some branch of the military, even in special operations, you've got a tranny training up guys. Well, uh, of course, the church is celebrating transgenderism. Why should we expect anything better from a military, which it's always going to be reflective of the culture uh, that it's defending? You're never going to have a military that's not reflective of the people it's from. Mm-hmm. Those are the guys you're pulling from. Yep. Until we have robots, because technology is going to save us. Because I've been listening to Joe Rogan. <laughs> Nothing to worry about from militarized robots. That is our salvation. Yeah. And so some trust in chariots. Yeah. But that's dumb because we've got robots. Robots. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't never seen a robot movie. I don't know what's going to happen. Look at your story. chariots and horses. <laughs> <laughs> I've got automatic machine guns on my robot. Um, so to summarize the, the, the cultural shift. Psalm 20, baby. Uh, we, we have, uh, you know, we have people alive that served under Patton, you know, uh, and, and Eisenhower. We have people alive that remember those men, Dick Winters and guys like that. Men. Um, men, you know, that led us in battle and won the war for us. Um, on, on multiple fronts uh, and now our leaders have white fragility uh, on their reading list is that know, their recommended lead, reading list do you guys have like required training you have to do with CRT uh, gay pro gay stuff because I know yeah, like the so police do the last one we did was 2000 last one I did was 2016 um, and I uh I was told, uh, and this was before I was, I, I was deep into CRT and all that and, and actually knew, uh, what this whole thing was, was about. Um, I was literally told, sit down, shut up. You're not allowed to voice your opinion. This is happening in relation to, uh, in relation to, but I don't want it. No, it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. I really don't want it. <laughs> oh, it's happening to you right now. Yeah, they, brought us, they brought us into a room uh, and said, this is happening. Uh, taxpayer dollars are going to, uh, pay for, um, surgical transitions of people in the military. And, uh, that was, you know, that was before I, I had studied any of so I can't use steroids, but they can flip their peckers. So that was the pushback. The pushback and you was you will cheer. Yeah, the pushback was um, if, less competition for me. <laughs> if a woman feels like a man in the military, she can use taxpayer dollars to become a man. The worst man among us. <laughs> and 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 uh, therapy to do it right testosterone. If a man feels like a woman, 
he can get estrogen injected into him and get his pecker cut off so that he can feel like a woman. But if I, as a man, feel like I'm not as manly as I should be to fight our battles, I cannot you cite that as a reason to get testosterone replacement therapy. Makes sense. So that was the, that's the... What if you identify, what if you thing. go into work tomorrow, identify as a woman mm. and say, I need to transition to be a man because I feel like a man and I need the therapy for it. That would be a little end around. That's a loophole, I think. Definitely, sure. definitely a loophole. Uh, not one that I'm willing to... And worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not well, in one sense, yeah, dude, throw their folly in their face and get uh, subsidized steroids while you're at it. That yeah. seems like a no-brainer. All your buddies would laugh. <laughs> they would. Yeah, Charlie's been a woman the whole time. Well, it's the same, so it's, it's kind of akin that. to the same thing. People, people were doing this for years. Uh, men were uh, creating domestic partnerships with other guys in the military in order to receive married BAH. Uh, which is our housing allowance. I've been doing that for years. So they were double dipping. Jumping uh, around with different military yeah, guys. Yeah. The benefits are great. Yeah. So guys were doing that for years, you know, working loopholes like that. But, um, but yeah. I, I look mean, really good in the loophole. That's the last time that I, that I uh, experienced that type of outright, um, you know, diversity training, as they call it. You know, the key words, I think, that if anybody's listening to this podcast, that's a... In the military, that's Christian. <laughs> Nobody's listening, but nobody's listening. Uh, that's da, a Christian da, da. in the military. You need to, you need to be uh, weary of words like diversity and equity, because uh, those yeah. don't mean. Uh, those words do not mean what they actually mean. So when when the culture uses diversity and equity, uh, they mean something completely different. Um, that is uh, fundamentally anti-biblical. And to your point about leadership. Uh, so much of leadership is a courage of conviction, a clear sightedness, an ability to weigh all the information. You know, so you have Jimmy Carter who knows a bunch of facts, but doesn't have the ability to weigh those facts. You need, you, so you have to have a man of a particular level of firmness to be able to weigh those facts with lives on the line and in the moment make the right decision. So you think of going into battle under Ari Lee or, or Stonewall Jackson. And those men at different times, Jeb Stewart, made mistakes that cost lives. But the trust you have in those men, as men, imperfect, so you know they're going to make mistakes, but you, you know what kind of men they are. And so you can trust as an enlisted guy following those leaders, you can trust by and large the character of the men leading you. And so you can go even at risk of your own life, yeah. come what may. But in, in contrast, there's, there's a guy, uh, I can't remember his first name, but his last name is Bragg a Confederate general and in the Western theater, um, we had lost. So the Confederacy had lost well early on lost Kentucky. Um, and if not all, uh, I think lost all of Tennessee pretty quickly. And there was a, there was a counter movement to retake those States. And there was a way that it really could have worked. Which would have had, I mean, most of the history we have or we think of when we think of the war between the states is focused on Virginia because Virginia is the best state in the Union and it produces the best men in the Union. So it's naturally that we'd, fo we'd naturally we'd focus there. Uh, I'm sure it's where the, most New Yorkers were killed. So a really good place to focus. Uh, but 
if we had retaken the Western theater, it changes the game in that war. And, and Bragg had that opportunity, uh, but he, you know, so to speak, he blinked at the decisive moment. He, he didn't have the vision and the firmness to do what was necessary at the moment it was necessary. You know, hindsight is not going to do it for you when, when we're talking about war. He blinked, and so uh, really the shining opportunity to retake the Western theater was lost. And downstream from that, uh, the war for the soul of America was lost. Um, and so, again, you think about going into battle, following the kind of men like Dick Winters, or going into battle, following the guys that think, you know, diversity is the end all be all, the, the kind of guys that are going to, in spite of, you know, a woman failing test after test after test, passing her above more competent men anyway, and putting her, you know, as a logistics officer for MARSOC, just because she's a woman and you want to have the diversity stats or, or pushing a woman into buds or pushing a tranny into some, uh, you know, training um, uh, rotation. Th those kind of men are not trustworthy. Right. And, and, and on an amplified level, um, we are most likely, you know, f the fat lady has not sung in this way yet. There's a lot of fat ladies singing out there, but the fat lady has not yet sung on January 20th. But as each day passes, it's becoming more and more likely that a completely illegitimate, a completely and I, and I know we might have some disagreement on on how far the illegitimacy goes, but. My belief is that 100% illegitimate, fraudulent, uh, potential president Joe Biden, who is a complete tool of the devil and the Democrat Party, is about to be the commander in chief. The guy who at the top level, you know, at the end of the day, every military engagement needs that paper signed off by a politician. And the politician right at the top, he ain't going to be Donnie T. He's not going to be Ronald Reagan. He's not going to be Dick Eisenhower, Dwight Eisenhower. He's going to be Joe Biden. You're going to, you're potentially going to be asked to follow Joe Biden. You know what I mean? Like, what a time to be in the military. Yeah. So the the comfort uh, there, if there is any, is <clears throat> that uh, there's there's a lot of decentralized leadership in the military, um, and so if if you can trust like unit commanders. Uh, and unit, uh, you know, senior enlisted advisors, uh, which thank thankfully I do have good ones uh, in my particular job. Uh, I know that the people directly above me are going to say no and yes to things that are good and right, and so there's there's encouragement there, sure. not on a broad level of, you know, like I said. Our, our generals and admirals uh, in our, in, you know, our Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know, having books like White Fragility on their reading list and Rules for Radicals on their reading list as like good material, you know, right? Uh, and like, hey, this is these are this is good. This is not like, hey, read this so that you can know thine enemy, yeah. right? Read this, this is, because we believe KGB ideology. Yeah, exactly. Like. This is this is these are these are those types of people. Like you said, we cannot trust these types of people. Uh, and you know, you know, on the election piece of it, uh, 
you know, the best defense I've heard by far um, for fraudulent election is election has never been clean in the history of mankind ever. Uh, when there's an election, there's 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 fraud, there's fraud and there's cheating um, and there's lying and there's deceit. Not with George Washington, and, buddy. Yeah. And this is the most powerful nation to ever exist in the most powerful time, in the most economically prosperous time in the history of the world. And I think we'd be fools to think that there's no fraud, that, it, that, that this is a clean election. All of a sudden, the, the most powerful position ever, uh, to assume that there's there's a clean election underneath that is 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 kind of silly. Now, you can apply that logic to Donald Trump and every president before him as well. Um, but uh, to your point, uh, because of the way the culture is going, and, and it's circling back to the military specifically, uh, it is advantageous for our enemies to have flaccid leadership oh, sure. at the top. Yeah. Right? So if... If I was it's the best argument against Russian collusion, right. I mean the fact tea. the fact that we champion. Uh, I'd like to press into this more too. Uh, the fact that we champion diversity being our strength as a military is good news to to foreign nations. Hundred percent. And there's so maybe Dave speak to this if you don't mind. Uh, so diversity is our strength, being a you know a pillar, right of just America nowadays, but the military as well. And then I think you have. So there's, there's something to be said for diversity in gifts, right? Charlie, you have specializations and different guys within your community and even on a specific team you're working with, right? You have a squad and within that squad, you have different guys with different gifts on one level, right? There's now with that, there's a unity, right? There's a baseline unity, unity in vision and then unity in competency, on a baseline level. And then there's a, a beauty and diversity of gifts from there going on, right? Specialties. Uh, so I guess explain David a little bit of the difference between diversity is our strength in a broad principle versus diversity is a strength in terms of like, you know, having specialized guys doing specialized things. You know what I mean? Yeah. In that, in that latter sense of it, all you're saying there is that, uh, that's what some people might be thinking when they hear, well, yeah. yeah, no, you want you want a guy who can do this and a guy who can do that. You know? Yeah, we, we brought Charlie on the podcast because Charlie is very specialized at dropping bombs. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But so all you're saying there is that bodies are bodies. That's just biblical. Right. A body has different right. members. Right. Right. Not everyone's an eye, right. an ear, a nose. And some people like me are an ass. But you even, don't need too many of those. But to even be a part of that body, it requires... It requires a confession, a creed, right. a vision, a mission, and a, a character competence right. that's, that's baseline and, sh- and shared. And, and right. so, you know, if you fall out of that, you're out. Right. Um, so diversity, and, and so is diversity outside of that is... Is a lie. Right. You know, so diversity uh, society-wide in America really came down to, you know, okay, we're going to allow for a diversity of denominations within Christendom. And that's about yeah, as far yeah, yeah. as it went, right? We understood that uh, apart from that, you know, men are men, women are women. Uh, we are to serve Jehovah. Yeah, we weren't seeding that there's other gods. Yeah, so, you know, diversity as a strength now is a claim 
uh, is a false claim of, of theology that there's different gods and that there's there's no difference in what you say about who God is. So when we say God bless America, we no longer are saying Jehovah bless us. Right. There's no strength in having Allah worshipers in our country. No, it's a curse. Right. It's a curse. Through history and biblically, uh, it's a curse. It's a curse to have a diversity of vision, uh, a mission, definition of anthropology, who we are, what we're here for, what is righteousness, what is good, what is bad. Recently, you know, if you want to talk about even rules of engagement, how do you actually objectively uh, establish rules of engagement when you have no grounding for claiming what is good and bad? Yep. Right when you're serving different gods, and the different gods call forth different action. Yeah, you know they define fidelity differently. Right, all you have there is confusion. A house divided, and a house divided against itself falls. Uh, which again is what our, our enemy wants. Right, our enemies uh, want diversity is is not our strength. Homogeneity is our strength. Yeah, sameness is our strength. Right, assimilation into the worship of Jehovah and yeah. service to him Amen. and clear-sighted conviction on that one standard. Um, that's what, that's what establishes a church in strength, a family in strength, a community in strength, uh, and a military, uh, in strength. Yep. And I think, uh, on that point, the specifically, you know, diversity being our strength slogan, uh, it, it's very eerie that that conveniently lines up with you know uh, the second step um in like the communist takeover of countries so which is uh, what so the first step being demoralization of the country and and, and fostering the the the, the uh, immorality of a country we're pretty far so, from that so right so we we've moved past second you know we've moved past the first stage into the second stage which is uh, create social chaos, uh, and probably even into the third stage, third stage was just create a crisis. Uh, but the second stage being create social chaos and the way that communism specifically creates social chaos is by pitting people groups against people groups. And so if you notice what's happening, and I think it's really, really sneaky. If you notice what's happening, um, let's, let's say that white privilege, let's just say white privilege, for example, is is a real thing. Is this like a hypothetical that I'm not supposed yes. to disagree with? Yes. Okay. So this is a hypothetical. White privilege is actually a real thing. Well, over the last 20 years, who's actually, who's still in power? After all this pro-gay, pro-transgender, pro, uh, you know, anti-white, anti-black, uh, pro-feminism, after all this. Pedophile, children eating lizard people. Yeah, exactly. Who's still in charge? White men white men are still in charge they're still in the white house they're still in the senate overwhelming majority right so so it's not about that right we don't so so we know that's a lie outright because white men are still in charge so if if we really actually if this was actually a real thing right white white privilege white men wouldn't still be in charge so we know that's not the aim of this create of the creation of social chaos what this what this does and, and what what marxism does is it pits people groups against people groups and so we have pitted atheism atheism uh the, especially the new atheists very militantly uh violently against christians right so we have that we have blacks against whites we have now 
uh, gay men now confused because they used to be the marginalized group and now now they're the problem because right. they're white we've moved on we, we've moved on transgenderism completely uh delegitimizes feminism right because now all of a sudden definitions of of, of of female and male mean nothing you can go from being a, a lesbian woman to a straight white male straight right man just by overnight transgenderism. Just snap of it you know what i mean like just it's just it's insane so we've pitted each other against each other right so everybody's yep. against everybody because of their social identity uh, and some multiple social identities that the the transgender lesbian gay black woman Yay who's actually multiculturalism. a man you know what i mean uh so we've we've pitted all these people groups against one another uh and that is advantageous for the enemy to come in because there's no unity so so diversity being our unity you know unity and diversity back to your point uh, especially when it applies when it's when it's infecting the military that's supposed to be defending us supposed to be guarding against foreign enemies uh, is uh, is certainly uh, it certainly points to the demise of a country because if China invades there's a few people groups here and there there's not Americans anymore there's not one people united we the people against a common enemy there's common enemies within this. And so all that being said, the reason I'm still in the military is because in our in our oath specifically, and, and this is right now, this is where I'm at, in our oath specifically, it says that you swear to protect America against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And I truly believe that our biggest enemy right now is domestic. It is our, it's, it's the fostering of social chaos and social disorder that is uh that is uh specifically anti-biblical against god against his 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 laws uh and against nature uh fundamentally and so my battle is not necessarily with flesh and blood in the military right now because we're not fighting wars i'm fighting a war inside the military the the, the culture that's invading the military uh, is is one that has been you know we've seen over the last twenty years invade our culture at large is pitting people against people right I, we don't even have any unity in my at my team but you also don't even have chaplains that you can rely on in your so if if uh, if the way to battle if the way you're saying you want to battle domestic enemies is through uh, the weapons of the gospel, you don't even have the allowance for chaplains who are going to take up that cause. So what actually can be done from within that kind of beast, from within the military structure, to fight domestic enemies of the state within the military and domestic enemies of the state who are in political positions over the military, uh, you know, because if you if you sworn an oath to protect America against domestic enemies, what are you actually doing, and what can you actually do to fight them in in your current role? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the I think the answer with I that mean, you is, have, you have a family and you're raising yep. a family. That's one thing, but that's not a, a military specific thing. Right. So the, specifically with the military, I think the answer there is for Christian men that are currently in the military to like we we talked about to take the hill in front of them. Right. So 
So uh, to take the hill in front of them with the intention of taking the bigger hill behind it, right? So uh, instead of getting discouraged and depressed about, you know, the atheist and, you know, the liberal in, at, you know, in your workspace, attack, you know what I mean? Start, start gaining ground there. We start gaining ground there all while, all the while doing your job well, doing your duty well, uh, promoting from within the military. Because eventually, if you work hard enough, right, in the military, and if you stay in long enough, eventually you're in a position that you actually have some influence over the culture of a, let's say, a specific team, uh -huh. right, squad, team, whatever. Uh, and so just imagine if some of these generals were God-fearing men right now that you know 30 years ago they resolved to preach the gospel in season and out of season in the military and didn't and didn't let this just imagine if these are we at a place where that will not 30 years ago but right now will bar you from promotion do you think i mean uh i don't i don't think so at this point i think i think uh generally on the ground in any job if you do your job well regardless of your politics or religion i think you generally get promoted i think that's still a, a i think that's still a general uh theme in america i do see it going away from that though i, I do see uh because it, because the the culture is no longer uh okay with with differing opinions yeah let's get let's they're, just they're, get yes men they're yeah they're attaching political and religious ideology to character now and so that's that's the, that's the big shift that i've seen over the last 10 years i mean is, i do that as well though well i'm saying from the other end yeah so so leftism attaches uh you know uh, my religious ideology to evil it's sure. not like, oh, you have a differing opinion. That's cool, man. Just maybe, uh, I maybe do that with them, though. You know, when, when America was founded, it's like you had to be a Christian to have political office. You know what I mean? You, you didn't have to... Uh, it's not like you had to be a, a minister to have political office, but you had to be a Christian. And so I would make, I would make the same judgment. They're, you know, so at, at one level, it's like I'm doing the same thing. They're just now doing it without basis. Right. I, I, I don't want any atheist officers... Right. I don't care how good you are. I'll, I mean, I'll use you. You either have Christianity or Satanism, and I'd much rather have a Christian ruling than Satanism. Satanism sounds a little dangerous. Sounds dangerous to me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, unless we're going into another segment, which we're probably not. So, uh, can I can I shift real quick? I had one topic I wanted to hit with you before uh, we sure. closed. Yeah. Okay. But if, if you anybody wanted to make any statements about what we've been talking about, I had a I had a question, but we don't need to. Okay. We don't need to pursue it. Okay. H have you um. Have you had the opportunity to deploy in a way that puts you uh, like in combat in your eleven years in the uh, military? No. Okay. So, so you've never, through your job, like faced death. Correct. Um, are you close with guys who have? Yes. Have has your time in the military? Uh, so, with your, you know, relatively newfound Christian convictions. I mean, that were you know, in seed form given to you as a child, but you really, so from 2015, really taking them and run with them as an adult. So your newfound Christian convictions about life and death, the eternal, 
with your experiences, even if not directly, but with close associates uh, who, by the nature of the job, deal with death, has that impacted your thinking about death? You know, how do you think about death in your current job? You know, and, and I'm talking like not just like big broad that anyone could talk about, but like viscerally, like the moment of death, the approach of death, facing death, uh, dying well, dying poorly, all, all these things that, that you might have to think about on a more regular basis. And Sean, that you might have to think about on a more regular basis being in the kind of job y'all are in. Yeah, so mine mine is very specific to a time. So uh, we... So, so I don't think, like, I think it's negligible uh, in my job specifically in terms of, like, the chances of me dying, right? So, okay, so I'm jumping out of planes, I'm shooting guns, uh, and I'm deploying possibly to combat zones, right? So, in the grand scheme of things, yes, I have an increased You've never chance. been in a combat zone? I've been in a combat zone, just never, like... Anything engaging. engaging on that level. Never done, never done like a ceiling kill. Right. Yeah. yeah. No ceiling kills. Uh, shout out to Caleb. Uh, the what? What is a ceiling kill, real quick? <laughs> so it's when you get ridiculously strong in the push press or a strict press, so much so that you can grab and you carry a, that out into the field. You carry that out <laughs> in the field. You can grab a combatant uh, by the, the collar and leg <laughs> and carotid region yes and slam them into the ceiling well so many times that you smash him to death for caleb one time <laughs> for caleb one time uh but anyway uh so so my my chances of dying are probably higher than the average civilian uh but they're not uh it's not on a regular basis where i like every single yeah every single time i go to go to, go to work it could be the last time I walk out the door, right? Yeah. Uh, it, definitely in contrast to, to Sean's job, that literally every single time he leaves could be the last time he, walk, he sees Ember. So that's because you just don't like the, uh, the, uh, the unpredictable nature of Sean's job. It's a lot, it's a lot more unpredictable than my job. Like, so my job is very he hunts predictable. Minorities, it creates a lot of conflict every night. Yes. Yeah, so, we, so when we set up, when we My set up training, is what really. Yeah. When we set up training uh, in our job, uh, there is risk management in our job. So, if I jump out of a plane, there's risk management to make sure that I am competent enough to not kill myself jumping out of the plane, right? So, there's a bunch of training that happens prior to that, uh, and then there's a bunch of external factors that are mitigated to make sure I don't die jumping out of a plane. In the same way that they wouldn't throw you out of a plane without training you. Well, they right? might. I mean, if I talk so, at all, they might just throw me out of a plane. There's always, there's always factors that are unpredictable. It's different with Sean uh, because, because there's, there's, there's risk management in Sean's job. And certainly they mitigate the risk to Sean as an, as an individual. Uh, but the X factor, there's an X factor there. The X factor is the person on the other end of the encounter. Right. right. So Sean, Sean has a contact. There's no, there's no uh, piece of paper you can write up to say if so-and-so does this because people are unpredictable by nature. Right. And so he could walk up to a guy that's Let alone how often is a stranger. Exactly. Stranger uh, and just a completely unpredictable situation. You don't, know, you don't know if that guy has a bomb on him. Right. 
are, are just a regular dude. You can profile them. Right. So there's obviously risk mitigation there, but it's it's completely different. And so uh, it's just it's it's a lot different, and it's a lot more. I have I have an opportunity to prepare, right? So if I know that I'm going into something that's higher risk, uh, especially something like you know in training, something like jumping out of planes, where I know like hey, this is a, if something happens, like that's it, right? I'm ten thousand feet in the air. If my parachute malfunctions, like I'm done, I'm gonna die. So uh, I have an opportunity to prepare for that in a way that Sean doesn't necessarily have the opportunity in the same way because. He just left, uh, you know, the old woman falling down house call. And yep. so he, his guard is down on his next contact just, just because he's a human. His guard is, is, is down, uh, and he's not, he's not preparing to die on his next contact. He's not preparing to get right. into a gunfight on his next contact. Right. You answer like a homosexual DV call, you're not necessarily expecting them to turn on you. Unless you see just stacks of Irish Spring all over the place. Yeah, my only experience so far is that they just deny being a homosexual couple. So just get, my roommate. So for you, like, we, uh, I, I have a girlfriend. I, I have, have a girlfriend. recently. So, you know, I get, so Sean, you go out, you know, you put on your uniform, you put on your equipment, mm-hmm. get in the car after your lineup, uh-huh. you go out into the night, mm-hmm. right? Um, Fist pound stands. So you've, you've done, you've done pre-work. And then you, every night is new. Uh-huh. I guess how has that dynamic forced you to uh, uh, really own the doctrine of providence? Like, have you done a lot of like internal work of uh, owning the doctrine of providence? The people who are more, I guess, protected from the obviousness of the fragility of life. You know, you do. You know what I'm asking? Yeah. Um... One thing that comes to mind, and then feel free to ask follow-up questions, but one thing that comes to mind is just, uh, you know, I, I face death often, not even just for myself, but literally just facing death even for others, Yeah. whether it's a, a homicide or something like that. And Might be in a room with, with someone who's deceased for hours as a, as a scene the, is being, yeah. All the time. Yeah. That's a, that's a weekly occurrence. And uh, it makes you think about, uh, we've talked about the, the value of story, and it makes you think about... Um, so this doesn't play so much into like the moment by moment contacts. Cause like Charlie said, honestly, a lot of that, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a fairy tale to think like you're going to just prepare super well for every single one of those contacts. There's just too many of them. And so <laughs> also speaking to the doctrine of Providence, you honestly just have to have, uh, seek to be rooted in that foundationally before any of those contacts and then hope that your training is going to kick in in the moment and, and your faith is going to kick in, in the moment to where you, are not a coward you're courageous you do what needs to be done and you do it well so that you can but you you want good stories to be told to the glory of god about the way you conduct yourself in those situations but facing death often just is a is a helpful reminder that uh that moment's going to come and you have to you have to face it a particular way but in terms of the the moment by moment yeah it's um it's kind of got to be done it's got to be done beforehand you have to have that going in or else you're just going to you're going to fail in the moment. I think of guys like Stonewall who you know sees a a blackberry patch he just goes out starts picking blackberries yeah, yeah, right yeah. in front of the enemy. Right. Bullets are flying and it's like he doesn't even notice, right? And you know he's sitting high in the saddle. Uh, he's he's writing notes to be taken by a a courier. 
artillery's blowing, you know, tree shrapnel on, on his pages and he's just brushing it off and keeping on going. You know, you, you have stories of good Christian men in similar jobs as you guys who uh, seem to very well own Providence. And so I guess, you know, has that been easy for you? Is there, has that been something you've had to discipline yourself into? What does that look like? I don't think it's honestly been extremely difficult for me. I think I I came in as a Christian, so it's not something I've had to, Charlie's had to rework that, his understanding of how that works and, and how to, how to think about that in his mind. But going into it, I don't, I, I leave the home pretty much every night thinking that thought, thinking this could be the last time I walk out the door, which all that even backdating, right? That, that shapes repentance a lot for me because, uh, it's, it's folly to, you know, spend any kind of time in frustration towards your family or any kind of bitterness to let that fester because, you know, you might not come home the next day. Is that going to be the note that you're going to end, you know, a marital dynamic, uh, dynamic with your children on? Well, it better not be, you better not end it like that. And then in terms of the, the practicals at work, uh, I'm very confident that I'm right where God wants me to be. Uh, he's, he's got me. And so, you know, a hot call comes out, which is, you know, like a, a more urgent call. I, I want to be on all those calls. That's why I signed up for it. And I, I have a confidence that, uh, whatever comes of that is going to be the will of God. Um, my wife's surrounded by good Christian friends, which is, God doesn't owe that to us. That's just an extra blessing. And so I've just been blessed to know, you know, whatever comes of that, it's going to be, it's going to be the will of God. And I can, I can rest in that. So that, you know, resting in God there, uh, much like a guy like Stonewall, when you look at the way he operated in battle, resting there gives you fearlessness in combat. And so you can go into that with confidence. And then uh, I think the, just the important caveat there would be that you don't take a pro, a good doctrine of providence and combine that with an apathy and training and, and those kind of things um, that needs to be combined with you have confidence there when you by the grace of God put your best foot forward day in day out and prepare yourself for those encounters Charlie got anything you want to add to that that's actually so providence piece is something that I've struggled with a lot actually uh, and I think tying this whole thing together because of the state of the military currently and like just my thought like am i going to you know be overseas and let's say we go we go out on on some sort of mission or operation uh that is not going to affect the landscape and have any significant meaning whatsoever uh not not only just to the to the welfare of america but for the kingdom at all what if it's actually anti-kingdom you know what if it's you know what if it's going out and and doing something that that is that is specifically with the intention of like uh furthering evil uh in the culture and in america thinking like am i do and and, and again this is the struggle of being in the military is like do i want to put myself in a situation that that where i could die and not come home to my family and not live the next 40 years raising my children and and loving my wife and being part of a local church uh for literally nothing that's important to think critically about because whether it's military or you know police work there's plenty of arbitrary laws right now that police officers are either told to enforce or at least allowed to enforce that are unjust and you have to answer to god for every single one of those the level of arbitrariness is such that you know we can run 
good sergeants out of the police force because they bought coffee from a small business that needed patronage to stay open. But then uh, police officers that I appreciate for not stopping on one level and giving us a hard time at Planned Parenthood, but police officers can drive by Planned Parenthood as children are being murdered and uh, do nothing to, to stop that murder. And, and actually get praised for doing nothing to stop that murder. All the while, you got guys losing their job because they were just right. being good Americans. Yeah, and we talked. I think we've talked about this on the podcast in the past. But we had you had instances very pretty recently where uh, a police officer wound up shooting someone uh, on their own property and not announcing himself. And I think a proper doctrine of providence and understanding of the law of God uh, actually, you know, heads that off and forbids you from doing that kind of work. So you allow fear to. Dr- you know, you allow fear to drive you in a moment like that. You're like, oh, I'm going into a sketchy situation. Tactically, the best thing I can do is be silent, right? Don't step on any branches on your way up to the house and and be quiet. Poke your head around a corner, see what's going on. Gun, you know, and then and training kicks in and all of a sudden you're, you're dumping rounds. Uh, a proper doctrine of understanding the law of God and a proper doctrine of providence uh, in that situation uh, reminds you that you can be confident in, in God's plan for you. And knowing that, okay, I'm a police officer. I've signed up to be uh, on the front line in this way. And so I'm going to announce myself. And announcing myself, you know, there might be a legitimate threat on the other side of that. But I'm going on a private property. I don't have the, I don't have the right to be here just in and of itself. I'm going to announce myself and, and put myself in a position of disadvantage. Uh, and so that's, I think that's a good example of kind of the doctrine of providence playing out in my job where I need to be willing. And that's a, that's a daily occurrence you know, go, go into an alarm call or something like that. I'm going to walk onto a guy's property. Now my, my only goal there is to make sure his house is secure, but I'm in this guy's backyard. And so if he wakes up and sees a guy in his backyard and he takes action, you know, I really can't fault him for that. And if I take action against him after not giving him the opportunity to defend his home, I've put him, I've, I haven't served him. So a proper doctrine of, of Providence lets me rest in the fact that, okay, I'm going to announce myself. And if I die here, that's, that's God's plan for this situation. But I, I'm dying honorably because I did my job. I, I was seeking to serve that person and you know, that person turned on me and maybe I don't have time to, to mitigate what's going to happen there, but it is what it is. Well, we're, uh, we're against the clock. And so we're going to bring this episode to a close. Charlie, thank you for joining us. Yep. And, uh, you know, with the, with the bombs you've dropped as the, as the rubble settles, maybe we'll have you on again That'd be great. in the future. Uh, but until next time, Trust the providence of God and go with him, uh, taking the hills that are before you in faith. God bless. Of all.